If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to look there today. Houston, we have a problem. These are the most famous words ever uttered in the history of space travel. One sentence, five small words, but they signal what could have been the greatest disaster in the history of NASA. April 13, 1970, astronauts Jim Lovell, John Swigert, and Fred Hayes were in the lunar module, Apollo 13. They were 200,000 miles from Earth, five-sixths of the way to the moon, 55 hours into their flight, and disaster struck. A mysterious explosion rocked the ship and left it less than two hours from becoming a permanent tomb in space. The crew watched in horror as the cockpit grew darker, the air grew thinner, and instruments went blank. And Captain Jim Lovell on the radio uttered those famous words, Houston, we have a problem. Yet those words marked what would become in the archives of American space travel our finest hour. See, as we begin this new year, I want to begin with this series of messages in the book of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah was about a man who faced what seemed to be an impossible task, an unsolvable problem, unbelievable challenge. And because of it, he experienced his finest hour. You know, I know throughout this year we have faced some unbelievable challenges. And I don't believe they're done. I imagine 2021 we will face some new challenges and hopefully through them we will experience our finest hours. I mean, if you think about it, life is a lot like Apollo 13. You can be cruising along in that cozy little spaceship of your life, enjoying the scenery, except you're not looking at the moon and the stars and the galaxies. No, you're, you're watching your little ones play t-ball. You're watching your beautiful wife nap on the couch or enjoying a great game of golf and all of a sudden, there's an explosion in your life. And your spouse walks in and says, Houston, we have a problem. I don't love you anymore. The principal calls from school and says, Houston, we have a problem. Your child is on drugs. The doctor looks you in the eyes and says, Houston, we have a problem. There's something on the x-ray and it doesn't look good. And all of a sudden, the walls of your life crumble before your very eyes. See, Nehemiah was an expert wall rebuilder in all of the Bible. Now, let me give you just a background of this book so we'll understand the story and how it relates to what all of us are forced to do in everyday life. Many years before this book was written, Jerusalem was destroyed. The Jews were deported to Babylon, which was located in today Iraq. And 50 years later, the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. For 90 years, Jerusalem itself sat in ruins. The city wall was destroyed. The gates were burned. And the people were totally demoralized. And everyone was saying, Houston, we have a problem. But nobody was saying, I've got a solution. Until Nehemiah steps in. And this is his personal spiritual journal. It's a first-hand account of a wall builder on how to rebuild broken down walls. You know, Nehemiah is truly one of my favorite books in the Bible. And it, it's because this, it's the first book on leadership ever written. And some of you may be tempted right now to go, well, I'm not a leader, so these series of messages don't apply to me. But I want you to understand this. John Maxwell describes leadership as influence. 
And since everyone here has influence in someone's life, everyone is a leader. If you are a father and a husband, you are a leader of your home. If you're a stay-at-home mom, your job is to lead those kids most hours of the day. With the people you work with, your friends at school, those people you know that you have any influence at all, you're a leader. I mean, whether you're a corporate executive, a school teacher, an office manager, a systems analyst, a stay-at-home mom, a student, whatever, there is so much we can learn from the book of Nehemiah. Anybody here have a touchy boss? So did Nehemiah. Anybody here under a lot of stress have to handle criticism? So did Nehemiah. Anybody ever get discouraged over what seems to be an impossible problem to solve or possible work to complete? So did Nehemiah. Anybody here have walls broken down in their life? Maybe your walls of marriage are broken or the walls of your family are broken. Well, Nehemiah is the expert in rebuilding broken down walls. And now rebuilding can be more difficult than building from the beginning. After all, more and more people say today it's just easier to walk away from a broken marriage than stay and rebuild. It's easier to quit and find another job than to stay and fix the work relationship. It's easier just to take my own life than stick it out and fix what's broken. But in this first chapter, Nehemiah lays the foundation of how to begin to rebuild those broken down walls. And he begins this process that are going to carry us on for the next eight weeks. Not only how to face problems and find obstacles, but how do we find solutions? So let me share with you this morning four steps to, to beginning brick by brick on how to rebuild those broken walls. It starts here. You have to see the reality of the situation. Nehemiah 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city of Citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and distress and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. See, someone once said, understanding the problem is half the solution. And immediately we see the problem. The city walls were broken down. The gates are in disrepair. Now, we don't use walls to protect our cities and our homes today, right? We, we have fences, we have gates, we have alarm systems, we have radar. Actually, our entire country has this invisible wall around it in the form of an organization called NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Their motto is deter, detect, defend. And they use ground-based radar, airborne radar, satellites and computers, and every square inch of earth and space is monitored for incoming attack. Now, you can imagine what would happen to this country if those communications were destroyed, if those computers malfunctioned. We could be in trouble. See, in effect, that is what happened in Jerusalem. Because walls were the only means for protection for a city. Where there are no walls, there is no protection. So in Jerusalem, the people were defenseless, vulnerable to attack, open to harassment. And because of this, they were discouraged. 
See, whenever an army would overtake a city, the first thing they would do, destroy the walls. Because broken down walls were a disgrace. And in this case, not only a disgrace to the people of God, but disgrace to God Himself. See, let me share with you how important walls can be. Think about it. Walls of fidelity protect marriage. Walls of marriage protect the family. Walls of the family protect our community. Walls of our community protect the state. Walls of our state protect the nation. Now before you ever can solve a problem, you've got to understand it. You've got to look and see the reality of the situation. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. A great leadership book. And in that book he describes how just a very few good companies have become great companies. And he said one of the marks of those companies going from good to great is the willingness to confront the brutal facts. See, we have to do that in church as well, don't we? We have the challenge to rebuild walls. Within a 20-minute radius of our church, there are thousands of people that see no importance of what we do. They have no affiliation to church whatsoever. These are walls that need to be rebuilt. Within 20 minutes of this church, home after home after home, there are marital walls falling down, financial walls falling down, spiritual walls falling down. As you confront the brutal facts in your own life, maybe that news is not good for you. You've lost your job. Financial pressures seem to never end. You, you have to see the doctor next week because of that spot on the x-ray. You know, I was astounded to read that one out of every seven parents have a child with a learning disability. One out of eight have a child with a mental or emotional problem. One out of ten have a child on drugs or alcohol. One out of ten is dealing with a pregnant teenager. See, one of the first lessons in Nehemiah is you can't solve a problem you're running away from. You can't get the right answers until you ask the right questions from the right people. Meaning people who will shoot straight with you. Who will tell you the truth. See, that's what Nehemiah did with his brother because he wanted to see the reality of the situation. And then you share the responsibility for the situation. Continue, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who will love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. See, did you notice Nehemiah uses the pronouns we, not they? You'll never solve a problem if all you do is try to find blame and put it on somebody else. I mean, Nehemiah could have easily said, you know what, it's their problem. Let them deal with it. But he didn't. I read about these two ladies that they had never flown in an airplane before and they were afraid of jet planes. But they agreed to finally fly in a prop plane. It was a double engine plane with about 30 passengers. and They took off and not long into the flight they heard a weird noise. And one of the ladies looked out the window on the other side of the plane 
and saw that the right engine had stopped. And her friend looked at her and said, oh no, what do we do now? And the other lady said, oh, I wouldn't worry about it. That's their side of the plane. (laughs) See, have you ever shared the blame for something you really weren't involved in? You ever taken the heat over something that directly you had nothing to do with? If you're going to rebuild walls, you've got to be willing to sit where other people sit, walk where they walk, feel what they feel. Because you can look at our society in one of two ways. You can stand on the sidelines and say, things really ought to be different. Or you can get in the game. And you can ask, how can I make a difference? See, the truth of the matter is, one of the reasons we have this culture where the walls are falling in is because we at the church have not done all we can do to get into the wall rebuilding business. We need to share the responsibilities for the situation. And then we need to seek the ruler over the situation. Listen to verse 4 again. He said, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed for the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard about the condition of Israel, the first thing he did was pray. There was nothing he could do at that point but pray. Because at that time, as you're going to see, he was in the wrong place with the wrong job working for the wrong person. If you don't learn anything else from this book, learn this. Whenever you face walls that are falling down, whether it's your life or the life of your family or your job or your friends, the first place to go is God. When you go to God's Word, when you fast, when you pray, when you seek His face, He will give you the solution. See, it's important to notice how he prayed because really it's one of the great prayers in the Old Testament. See, first he reminded God of his revelation to his people. Right, he said in verse 8, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled people at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He remembers this promise and recounts this promise that God had made earlier to the people that were facing broken down walls. And then he speaks of God's relationships with his people. He said in verse 10, Now these are your servants and your people. He was saying to God, These are your people, your servants. They are your responsibility. And if you don't come through, everything is lost. And he spoke about God's redemption to his people. He said in verse 10, whom you have redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. What he was saying was this. God, do you remember? Do you remember how you redeemed your people when they were in bondage in Egypt? How you delivered them from the bondage into freedom? Well, the same people you redeemed yesterday are the people you must rescue today. See, let me ask you this question. Why did Nehemiah remind God of all this? Well, the reason he recited God's promise back to him was not to remind God. All right, God never forgets anything. No, he did it to remind himself. He reminded himself of what God had said. To remind himself that God does what God says he will do. I mean, Nehemiah could have just quit his job and moved, as you're going to see. But he needed three things from the king 
to rebuild the walls. He needed the king's permission. See, the king had to authorize him to go and govern the city so he would have the authority to rebuild the walls. He needed the king's protection. It was going to be a dangerous journey and when word got out that he was rebuilding the walls, the enemies of Jerusalem would have him as a marked man. And he needed the king's provisions because without the materials and the money that would be needed to build the walls, they would never get rebuilt. See, in other words, once you see the reality of the situation, once you're willing to share responsibility for it, the first thing you need to do is admit that you can't do anything apart from God. And you better seek out the ruler over the situation. That raises a question. In your life right now, with whatever broken down walls you may be facing, what are you depending on God to do? See, I can tell you the answer. The things you're praying for are the things you're depending on God to do. Every broken down wall that ever comes into your life is God's way of forcing you to focus on Him. And then finally, you need to stand as a resource in the situation. Verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. There's a little twist to the story. Nehemiah wasted the last minute to tell us, oh, by the way, I was the cupbearer to the king. See, I believe it was through Nehemiah's praying and asking God for solutions to the problem that God reminded Nehemiah of who he was, of what he did. See, God already gave Nehemiah the answer, and you know what? The answer was Nehemiah. See, don't get the idea that Nehemiah was a butler or a chef or a dishwasher. In ancient days, a king would take the person that he trusted the most, more than anyone else in the kingdom, and that person would be his cupbearer. See, it was his job to taste the wine before the king would drink it, to eat the food before the king would eat it, to make sure it wasn't poisoned. If the, the cupbearer drank some wine and dropped dead, the king would say, I guess that was a bad year, but long live the king. Hmm. See, in other words, Nehemiah was a man of unbelievable influence and power. He was the most trusted advisor to the king, the second most powerful man in the kingdom. He didn't know a thing about rebuilding walls. He wasn't a contractor. He wasn't a builder. But he was the right man in the right place at the right time for the right job. See, whenever God wants to accomplish a work, he always prepares his workers. And he puts them in the right place at the right time. That's why Nehemiah said in his prayer, give your servant success today. He didn't pray God send a miracle. He said God send me. And he prayed for an opportunity. See, can I give you a, a thought on prayer that might shock you? If you want God to answer your prayer, you've got to be willing to be part of the answer. True prayer is when you're willing to make yourself available to be part of the answer. I mean, if you're a parent or even a grandparent, it's not enough to pray that your kids, that your grandkids will become men and women of character. 
You need to pray for opportunities to build character into their lives. If you have a burden for some unbelieving friends, it's not enough to pray that they will be saved. You need to pray for opportunities to speak to them about your faith in Christ. See, Nehemiah didn't pray for God to rebuild the wall. He prayed for the opportunity to rebuild it himself. And there's the difference between dreamers and leaders. Dreamers dream about things being different. Leaders determine how to make a difference. But let me warn you, answered prayer and rebuilt walls come at a cost. Nehemiah was going to have to give up that corner office and that corporate card and the company chariot, going to a city he's never seen, to a people he didn't know, taking a two-month trip across the desert filled with danger, laying his life on the line. There's a cost to be borne, a price to be paid in rebuilding walls. But he was because he was willing to pay the price to carry the cost that in 52 days those walls get rebuilt, gates get restored, and people are rejoicing. So I believe there are times in every man's life where we have what I call a Nehemiah moment. And it's that moment when you come to a fork in the road and one leads to comfort and one fork leads to sacrifice. And you have to decide whether you're going to serve yourself or serve God. Whether you're going to lay up treasures on earth or in heaven. You have to make up your mind whether you're going to care more about your comfort or his kingdom. See, the greatest ability Nehemiah had was availability. And there are no problems that people can't solve, but there are people unwilling to solve them. Houston, we have a problem. In your everyday life, your home, your marriage, your job, where you work, where you live, where you play, where you go to school, you have the opportunity to get involved in the lives of others and help rebuild walls. That's the Nehemiah moment. Are you willing? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get to work? Are you willing to share the peace and joy that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or maybe this morning you need to begin there. You need to surrender your life to begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's the case, come. Come down after service and talk to me. Stop by church this week and visit with me. Just don't let another week, another opportunity go by. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from him. And Lord, I pray you help us as we look at our city, our county, and we see the, the many lives that need you. Lord, I pray you give us the strength to be a part of the solution, to stand as a resource for sharing your gospel. Guide us as we let others know about that peace and that joy that only comes through a personal relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.